Literally. Pretty cool. All right. Hey, um, moving on. Please open in your Bibles to Psalm 147. Hey, while you find that, you may have noticed that this is the longest stretch uh, that I can remember that I have not been anchored in a book of the Bible. I've been kind of going from passage to passage, kind of a la, you know, the first, the first Baptist Church of Union City. Uh, you know, be, you know, what? Is that where you guys came from? Oh, really? I was just picking it out of the blue. <laughs> I, I was just trying to pick a place where nobody would live. Um, <laughs> anywho, I just want to let you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be picking back up a book uh, in January. After Martin Luther King's Sunday, we're going to launch a new study, and I believe that it's going to be the Gospel of John. So I uh, just want to let you know, we'll be floating for a little while, but we will be anchored in a book of the Bible soon enough. Here we are in God's Word. This is Psalm 147, starting in verse 1. This is God's Word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat, He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by giving you uh, our main idea. Our main idea, it's always good to have one, is this. God's dealings in grace are movements of power. And that's a pulpiteer's way of saying that God's grace and his power are never separated. Um, God has never divorced from any of his own excellencies. Even when he is moving in divine wrath, he is yet loving. He doesn't shut one attribute off to, to uh, start up another. He is himself all the time. Um, even when burning in righteous indignation, he still is remaining eternally loving. And this may seem like a simple ob- observation. We would agree that God is powerful. We go, oh, great, movements of power. Yeah, God has, God's, you know, and we sing things like, uh, our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Indeed, he is. We talk about the powerful blood of Jesus. Indeed, it is sufficient. It is powerful. That is true. Um, and yet, 
I think there remains a sense in many Christians, and you might even say a fear in many Christians, that God is mighty to save, but now that we've been brought into the household of faith, we've been plopped down, and uh, we, we're just kind of have to tough it out down here. Um, you have to just kind of tough out the Christian life. You've been brought into the kingdom, yay, you're eternally secure, but not just the Christian life, you just got to tough it out. And I got a confession to make to you. That is a sin propensity of mine. Um, I have a good friend, uh, my, 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 my friend Brian that I grew up with, he, my, my best friend growing up. I met him in church in fifth grade, which is, by the way, uh, a, a good ex- illustration as to why you should have your kids in church. I still have a very close friend I met in fifth grade at church. We didn't go to the same high school. He moved away for a couple of years, came back. We're still close to this day. Uh, but I remember Brian, when I first moved down here from Chicago, a couple years later, I went back. I have coffee with him every Christmas a, a time or two. And I, he's giant. He's a giant person. He's like six foot four, three, I don't know, what is he, 370 or something? He's a giant man, a giant person. Like I look like a nincompoop standing next to him. I'm like, hey, buddy, hey, hey. I've called him big guy my whole life. But I remember, I moved down here. It was a couple years later. And big guy, you know, we were leaving at Christmas. And it was like, see you, buddy. Catch you next year or next time I'm in town. I remember he grabbed my shoulders down here. He grabbed my shoulders and he said, just remember, you're from Chicago. He said, you'll always be from Chicago and we are tough. And let me tell you, that is a Chicago identity. Um, I don't know anybody at least my age that grew up in Chicago that didn't walk away from there going, we're tough. I mean, we dig out the snow. We don't call in late. We don't show up late. We dig out the snow an hour early, and we get to work on time, and we tough it out. The men are tough. The chicks are tough. You should see them in their parkas and stuff. They're like, I don't need makeup. The wind is blowing. And they're tough. Everybody's just tough. And uh, I respect people who are tough and tenacious and all that. I just, I just do. I, I have trouble respecting people who aren't tough, and, and, and that includes entire generations. <laughs> um, that's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue. I just respect people who are tough. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being tenacious and working hard and hanging tough and sticking it out and being optimistic and remaining resilient and all that stuff. And indeed, as Christians, we are to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We are to cooperate with God in this work of sanctification, it is true. We are to beat our bodies, spiritually speaking, as the the Apostle Paul would say. We're to beat our bodies like an athlete, we're to take it that seriously. We're to be rigorous. It's true. But never, ladies and gentlemen, do we ever accomplish anything of spiritual good in our own human power. It is God working in us and through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, never uh, are we told in the Bible anywhere that we accomplish the supernatural with the mere natural. Never do we uh, forge Uh, righteousness by banging the hammer ourselves. Never. It is always God's dealings and grace are movements of power. Okay. So God doesn't just leave you. uh, He doesn't save you to leave you in other words. And so um, the real time relevance for you is this, ladies and gentlemen, um, to put it in a different way, God, he's got you. God's got you. He saved you. But he hasn't just let you know, his hands off and have you float down in a funyak of life down the river, you know? He's got you the whole way. He's, he's working. And that should evoke something in us that we see in the psalm. It should evoke gratitude and adoration and deep confidence and rest. So let's go to our first point, which is this. Mended hearts, 
numbered stars. This psalm seems to be broken down in three hunks, and this is hunk number one. Mended hearts and numbered stars. This is kind of really what attracted me to this psalm. Look at verse one. Praise the Lord. Popular enough refrain, right? Praise the Lord. We hear it all the time. Um, But what does it mean? Why should we praise the Lord? Um, is praising God some kind of emotional rumbling of the spirit? Is that what it is? If somebody said, hey, uh, I'm not a Christian, I'm an atheist, and you guys talk about praising God all the time, what is it to praise God? I wonder what you would say. Is it, well, I, 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 in, in a worship service, I just, I just feel happy. Is that what praising God is? Is it, is it an emotional rumbling? Um, is it... Um, is it um, uh, the, uh, the beat of a song that makes your body move and your foot tap. Is that what praising God is? What is it? Um, is it sitting in a seminary class? Well, God, I got to praise you more. You know, I, I, I've met very few adult converts. You know, some guy comes to know Christ at, at 32 years old. I, I've met very few, especially men, very few adult male converts that don't then go, well, I guess I need to go to seminary. <laughs> they, just, they just, is that what praising God is? Well, I submit to you that it is the engagement of the whole person. And I, I think this, is, this, this supports that. It's the engagement of the whole person. It's reflecting uh, upon what God, who God is. It's um, resting in who he is. It's reciting who he is. It's rehearsing the gospel, rehearsing God's activities in your understanding. It's relating with God. It's rejoicing over him, uh, which is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so, praising the Lord. It's this reflection of who God is and what he's accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, all right? Now, what does it say about that? Praise the Lord. It says that it's good to sing praises to our God. So singing is a natural activity, not some silly superfluous one. It's important to us. It is fitting for us to sing praises to God. It's pleasant, it goes on to say, and a song of praise is fitting. Um, Matthew Henry writes this. I really liked it. He says, um, it becomes us. All right, it's fitting. You're at, some translations say it becomes us. It behooves us. It becomes us as reasonable creatures, much more as people in covenant with God. Another way to say that in shorthand would be it's sane. The sanest activity the Christian can have, and it's an activity that only regeneration brings and the wellspring of the gospel affords. It's fitting for us to praise God. And guess what? It's fitting for God to be praised by us. It's pleasant for us. It's pleasant for God also. Now, those things said, we have a working example of what praise is supposed to, to, to um, consist of in front of us um, and uh, how, we're con- how do we consider, how do we're to consider God and worship in the way we live our lives. All right, look at verse two. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. Now, <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, here we are, it's 2016, and uh, we're in Germantown, and we're reading this, and we're like, oh, praise, oh, good, praising the God, it's fitting, it's pleasant, I'm tracking with you. And the first thing that's said is, the Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. And we go, okay, all right, that seems awfully far away. You know, building up Jerusalem and outcasts and all that stuff, I mean, it just, uh, it seems far off. Well, friends, this is a post exilic hymn, post-exilic. In other words, it's after the exile of Israel and Judah. And I'll tell you that if you study this, you know, really, there's, a, there's not a lot of good commentaries on this psalm. 
I got a lot of them. There are not a lot of good ones. And I think a lot of it is uh, they get to the end of their commentary and they're like, let's just get it to the printer. Uh, and they give it like a paragraph to Psalm 147, 48, and 49, and 50. Um, not a lot of good stuff written. Um, and so people will also launch into Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall, and they'll kind of go into this big, long thing. Um, I, I, for our purposes today, I would say that you just need to know this, all right? Shorthand. Um, you know, I've told you many times, you've got David's kingdom, Israel, and Israel, right? It, it divides after David. You've got Israel and Judah, and then Assyria comes and captures Israel and takes them away. Judah remains, but eventually Judah's sin catches up with Judah too. And uh, in the meantime, Babylon has captured Assyria. Babylon comes down and gets Judah, and off they go. And so the Jews are no longer in the land. There's a little remnant left, but they've been, they've been taken away. They're captives. They're exiles. This is post-exilic. So they've started to trickle back, okay? Um, and, and, oh, and by the way, after Babylon fell to uh, the king of Persia in what, 539, the Jews were permitted to go back to Judah, all right? So they're trickling back, all right? Persia's now taken over. They're trickling back, and uh, that's where we pick up the sense of the psalm. So look at verses two and three. Um, he builds up Jerusalem, gathers the outcasts of Israel. In verse three, he says, he heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. Well, now that gives that some context, doesn't it? It's very easy just to read that and go, oh, good, when I'm sad, God will fix me. That's true. But it gives it this big, giant, redemptive context, doesn't it? This giant context. Um, God gathers the outcasts of Israel. Wow, even those who have been dispersed, even those who have been rejected, even those who have been captured, exiles, God binds them up, uh, the brokenhearted, and heals their wounds. Now, to make a quick application... Is this written to real people in real time about a real experience? Yes. This, this relates to people uh, going through something, all right, on one level. But on another level, um, look at verse 19. This could sound kind of random, but look at verse 19. He, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. Now, when I read that, do you think, oh, yeah, you know, Jacob, you know, Israel, all that, that doesn't really make a difference to me. Do you, do, you, do you think that? I hope you don't. Because when I read that, I go, he declares his word to Jacob, and I, I think, oh, Jacob, wow. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, Jacob, who is uh, in the lineage of my Savior, Jesus Christ, that Jacob, I mean, that's not a faraway thought. That's a, that's a vivid thought. That's a reality that makes a difference to me right now. Jacob, I read about Jacob. I, I read about God's statutes and rules that he's given. Um, who cares about God's statutes and rules? Do you? I do. The redeemed do. I mean, that's not a faraway thought. You, you think about Jacob and all that. You think that's, you're talking about the loins of Abraham. I think, God, you've loved me from eternity. And so that changes the way we can think about something like verse three. In the context of gathering back Israel, he heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. It really speaks on two planes. It speaks to these people going through a thing, but it also speaks in a grand sense, in a part of the redemptive theater. You've heard me use the word theater before. That's, that's no slight. That's, that's God's plan working out the redemptive theater. 
Um, it's it's uh, meeting the deepest and ultimate needs of his covenant people. All right, so let's move on. Look at verse six. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Um, you know, James 4, 6 says that the God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And you know that there are over 20 such statements in the New Testament and the Old Testament about God opposing the proud, giving grace to the humble, but opposing the proud. He does not like the proud. He, he does not support the proud. He, he supports the humble. And let me show you a little literary pattern here, yeah. Um, on that verse, uh, verse 6, you've got a parallelism here. And it's, it's this, you'll see this in Hebrew poetry. I pointed this out to you before. But you'll see this in Hebrew poetry. And if you gain an eye for this, you will, your reading of the Psalms will really be enriched. This stuff will pop out all the time to you. A very common thing in Hebrew poetry. You look at the first line. The Lord, you've got the subject. That's, that's Jehovah, Yahweh. The Lord, he does something. He lifts up the humble. In the next line, it's a repeat. Okay, it says the same kind of thing. But it says the same kind of thing with a little harder punch. You know, it, it takes what's been written and it, and, it, and it adds some oomph to it. So again, you have the subject, he, the Lord, instead of lifting up, he casts to the ground. Now think of how much stronger a thing that is to say. If you lift something up, you lift it up. If you cast it to the ground, you don't, it's not the opposite. You just don't go, ah. You go, ah. <laughs> you cast it to the ground. Different than just lifting up and setting down. He casts to the ground. The humble, and now look, it's the wicked. Very, very different on the spectrum, wouldn't you think? I mean, the humble is one thing. The wicked, God judges the wicked. God, God, uh, God jettisons the wicked from his holy presence. That's a big statement, all right? So we know what God is like. It's a very strong picture in our text. Well, here's where it gets personal, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you look at all this stuff about, um, um, look at verse four. Uh, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Uh, great is the Lord, abundant in power, understanding beyond measure. I mean, wow, this God. Don't you find it interesting that it talks about healing the brokenhearted, binding up the wounds of the suffering, and the very next thing, he names all the stars. And there's, there's those kinds of grand things that happen in each one of these hunks. Don't you find it interesting? I mean, you have this tender thing. Hey, he heals, he binds up the brokenhearted, and he heals their wounds. By the way, he numbers the stars. Now, let me ask you this. Um, do you know how many stars there are? I looked this up online. There's 100 billion stars in every galaxy. Well, we live in a galaxy, don't we? We live in a galaxy. There's 100 billion stars in the galaxy. There are 10 billion galaxies. That's how many stars there are. It blows the mind, doesn't it? Are there more stars than there are grains of sand on the earth? Think about that. The next time you're down in that sugar white sand in Destin um, and you see a pile of sand, you go, wow, that's, I mean, if you, this beach and all the beaches on all the coasts of all the world, uh, above the water and below the water, are there more stars than sand? Lots more. Do you know that? Lots more stars than grains of sand on the earth. Lots more. Did you know this? 
there's roughly the same amount of molecules as all the stars in 10 drops of water. (laughs) So you go way out into space and you've got this grand God who runs the, the unthinkable. And then you zoom way on in and you've got this grand God who also runs the unthinkable. I mean, in fact, one, yeah, the, 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 the scientist who was writing these things, he said, we can't handle the bigitude, which I kind of thought that was, that's a pretty cool scientist. He's like, we can't handle the bigitude. The bigitude is overwhelming. We can't even conceive it that there, there, there's 10 billion, 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 you know, some, something. But it says here that God names them. He's made each one. He knows them all. You know, uh, I'm a very happy bald man, as you are, my friend. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be bald. I, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I don't have a pointy head. I don't have a chromo-domo. I don't have a, I'm not a Cro-Magnon guy. Um, so I'm a, I'm a pretty happy bald man. And I've got a little bit here and a couple of existing sprouts, you know. But, you know, I read about God numbering the hairs on my head. I'm like, eh. But, of course, now I got this. You know how many of these fall out a day in my food? Like 10. Um, and he's got... <laughs> He's got, uh, he, he's got them named. Um, I mean, it's just amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but to apply it to your life, if you would just flip over to Matthew, please. Um, Matthew 7. Uh, verse 25. Jesus speaking in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And it goes on to talk about how it's nonsensical to worry. It's anti-faith to worry. Um, Six. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, hey, the point stands though, right? You still hear me? You still hear me? God knows all the little birdies. God numbers them. God numbers the stars. He numbers all things. I'm telling you, uh, this is a God who moves in grace and he's not divorced from his power is the point. He moves in grace. Um, he binds up the brokenhearted. He, he binds up wounds. And the next thing is all these stars. I'm just telling you, this is a, a glorious portrayal of this God who wants to help, but he is well able to help at the same time. All right, let's move on to our next point, uh, which is replenished earth, steadfast love. You see another grand theme here, right? Replenished earth, steadfast love, right from the text, verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. So again, it starts with the idea of worship. It starts with the idea of praise, of of singing, making melody to our God. We have this this praise element uh, glaringly prominent. And um, and you know it 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 might be it might be annoying to some too. Um, There's a lot of there's a lot of people in the Christian realm that that they go, Lord, we lift our voices. In our hearts, we lift our hands in our hearts, we clap for joy in our hearts, and it's like, really? Why not just go, woo? Like when you're happy at a football game, oh God, you saved me, thank you. 
Let me sing with my largest voice. Uh, I've strayed from my notes, but um, <clears throat> notice, ladies and gentlemen, verse 8 and 9. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Why should we worship God? Well, let's examine what he's like. He's this God who moves in power in his graciousness. It's never divorced. So when he's moving in your life, he's moving with power. It's this God. Sing, give thanks, rejoice in him, rest in him, rehearse his goodness because he's got the keys to everything. Look at verse uh, nine. Yeah, he gives the beasts their food. I mean, that's like the birds of the, 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 uh, of the field, the, fly, the flowers of the field, the birds of the air. God knows all these animals and all these crickets and all these bugs and all these creeping things, and he supplies for them. He covers, he prepares, he makes, he gives. Look at all that in verses eight and nine. He does this, he does this, he does this, he does this. Application for your life. God is doing 100% of the providing, uh, and that means he's got final say on how we use everything. That's, that's, a, that's a context shaper for your life. God does 100% of the providing of everything you've got. That means he's got final say over your use of everything that he's given. And that is to say, human efforts, strength, they're not impressive to God. Look at verse 10. His delight is not in the horse, strength of the horse, uh, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man. That's, there's nothing weird about that. It's talking about armies, the strength of the horse, the strength of the legs of a man, a soldier. God's not impressed by our might, by what we have amassed either nationally or uh, personally. He's not impressed with, with the, the little things that give us power in this life, that, that give us influence and all that. Not impressed with that at all. God is the caretaker for every living thing, and don't you ever forget it. And for the covenant child, it's mighty sweet news. Um, in verse five, God, great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. All right, last point. Blessed peace and weather systems. Ah, it's so nice to have our... Uh, um, in-house meteorologist uh, with us here today. Um, look at again, verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Wow, so here we, we're still on the theme of expression of gratitude and adoration uh, to God. The, the, these are, are sweeping terms of redemption again. Um, he goes on to talk about uh, you know, Israel, Zion. When you read of Israel, when you read of the God of Jacob, when you read of the eternal kingdom or Abraham as father or a remnant longing for, for home, you are invited by the scriptures to think of God's redemption of you. When you think of exiles longing for home, when you think of Christians passing from this life to the next, going to the land of promise provided uh, by, the, by the path God has given, um, we're invited to think of things in that way. Look at verse 13 to the end here. He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children with you. He makes peace in your borders, fills you with the finest of wheat, sends out his command on the earth. His word runs swiftly. Verse 16, it talks about everything cold, snow like wool, hoarfrost. I know you go, hoarfrost? That's a strange word. H-O-A-R, you know what hoary hair is? There's a hymn uh, with, the, with the term hoary hair. We never sing it because I, I just imagine the whole congregation going, hoary hair, and all the kids are texting. Um, but... <laughs> H-O-A-R, hoary hair just means white. Dave Hogan has hoary hair. Uh, that's just a good quote. 
you, you got to get shirt made. You got to get a shirt made. <laughs> but uh, all it's talking about is God controlling snow like wool, frost, snow. Who can stand before his cold? Nobody. You know, we've got a walk-in cooler out here. Do you know that? And uh, that thing on the right day, if, if it's not hot outside, we'll get down to minus seven inside. And uh, let me tell you, when you go in there and you get a box of frozen something out, it's a little frightening because you think if that door shut, I'd have about, right, Bobby? I'd have about seven minutes and I'd be starting to harden. I mean, it's, it's a little frightening. If, if, if somebody came by with that bar and just, that'd be it. Um, the maintenance man, you know, one of these high school kids closing up at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> verse 18, he sends out his word, melts him. He makes his wind blow, eh, the waters flow. God controls all those big things, declares his word to Jacob, statutes and rules of Israel, and so on. He's not dealt that way with any other nation, and that matters to you and me too because it's talking about God's covenant people. His ultimate remnant is us. All right, we close with this. He declares his word to Jacob, statutes and rules to Israel. Who is inclined to care about his statutes and rules? The redeemed. We care about him. We delight in his law. Um, Verse 20, he has not dealt this way with any other nations. Who knows his rules? We know his rules. Here's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. This world, fallen, broken. Um, When sin entered, murder followed very quickly. In the first family, you think about that. In the first family, murder, lying, deceit, um, a, a, lack of, a lack of adherence to God's plan for, for, for marriage even. I mean, in the first family, sin enters the scene and it's this broken world. And here we are at Christmas time and we're thinking about this broken earth, this broken world, um, but, but God, has, God has intervened. He's broken through. He sent the Son. He sent the Son of God, Jesus, to break through. That's the advent. Jesus coming, breaking through to this world to accomplish something. He has come to accomplish the living of a perfect human life. That's why Jesus came, to accomplish the living of a perfect human life. Thus, he's the only one who has ever been eligible, whoever could be eligible. It couldn't be a well-lived cheetah life. It couldn't be a well-lived angel life. It couldn't be a well-lived human life by anyone else because they're all guilty. It had to be the righteousness of God and perfectly lived humanity. He's the only one who could accomplish that. That's why he came to earth, to live the perfectly lived human life and to thus be able to say, I will lay it down in the place of the sinner. Call me guilty in the place of them. Give me their guilt. Give them my innocence. And the gavel of heaven falls justified. That's what justification means, justification by faith, um, uh, through faith, by grace alone. That's the gospel message. Let's take it into the Christmas season with us, and let us sing more heartily. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word and for the the fact that it is... um, vibrant. It's exciting to our souls, Lord. We read things in the Old Testament, things from thousands of years ago, and they're just vivid. Um, They transcend cultures because you do. Uh, They transcend languages and situations and barriers. You do, O God. You, the great counter of the stars. You, the great shepherd of the sheep. You, the one who tends to the little birds, uh, the beasts, the creeping things. You supply all things in your common grace, 
and in your particular grace, you have rescued sinners. We bless you and thank you. We pray that our love for your law would increase, and we pray, Lord, that um, we would rest in this God who binds up the brokenhearted, um, heals wounds, uh, this great namer of the stars, who moves in grace and power all the time. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.